If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah chapter 26. I was watching uh, football games yesterday. And uh, one of my favorite commercials that comes around this time of year, around the Thanksgiving uh, holiday, was on. And it's for a, a grocery store, but you wouldn't know that till the end. And the grocery store at the end puts their name up. It's one of those commercials that's really in about the store. It's just about the time of year. It's, it's two families sitting around the table. And they're just start to share from, in one family, it's the, it's the matriarch. and the other family, it's the patriarch of the family. It's the male figure, the female figure. And they're standing up and they just begin to share all that they have to be thankful for. And they talk about the blessings that have come in their family in the last year and the blessings they're looking forward to. And as I watched that and thought about what God was kind of doing in my heart and my mind for today, I couldn't help but think that in some ways what we're going to do today is give thanks for what has happened, and then we're going to look forward to what God is going to do. Today, in fact, what we're really doing is we're looking forward to 2010. Now, you know, a pastor, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. I know you got the Christmas stuff up already. We, but we're going to look forward to a preview of 2010. And I want to ask the question, how do we accomplish what God intends for us to accomplish in our lives and in this church in the coming year? And I want you to begin over the next three or four, five weeks as we move towards 2010 to begin to think about your part in that. And as I was thinking about all that, God just kind of brought me back to this verse in Isaiah chapter 26. I've spoken on it before here. It is my life verse. It is the verse that God has used more than any other verse to challenge me and convict me and to move me forward. If you follow me on Twitter or have seen my blog that I used to keep up, the name that I use is 268 Pastor. And I've had a number of you ask the question, what does 268 Pastor mean? Well, 268 Pastor comes from Isaiah 26, 8. And the idea is that I want to live my life proclaiming what this verse proclaims. Let me just tell you a little bit of background on this verse. We're not going to go in depth on the background, but it was time for a festival here. It was time for a celebration, if you will. They were entering their holiday season. And as they were entering their holiday season, they all went back to Jerusalem. The Israelites did. As they're gathered around thinking about it, Isaiah is a book of judgment and destruction that is coming. And they've heard about all this destruction that's happening around them. And the question they begin to ask themselves is, do we really celebrate like we're supposed to? Or is this a time to get worried about where we are and kind of bunker down? And God begins to tell them again what will happen if they do obey and if they don't obey. And in chapter 26, verse 7, the people of God begin to speak back to him about what they're committing to. And in verse 8, they rise in one voice and they say, Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws or your truth, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. I want to make quick three 
quick observations about that passage, and then we're going to talk about some things that I'm very excited about, things that are happening coming up. And the first thing is this. I want you to notice that this verse gives us the only proper response when called about by God for anything. There's not another word that you can put before the word Lord that makes any sense in this context, except for the word yes. Now, we sang Trading My Sorrows, right? Or some of you sang Trading My Sorrows. We did it collectively. And the chorus of that is a pretty simple chorus, right? It doesn't take long to get into it. It's yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, right? And the truth is, one of the reasons that you have to write that is because you can't put any other words there and make sense. You can't say, no, Lord, maybe, Lord, sometime, Lord, in the future, Lord, when everything's right, Lord, when the perfect opportunity comes along, Lord, it's just, yes, Lord. Now, I guess you could use a synonym, absolutely, Lord, right now, Lord, whatever you say, Lord. But the truth is that yes, Lord, is the only proper response. And the Israelites were just saying, yes, Lord, we understand. And then they show that not only do we understand that the only proper response is yes, but we also understand that we must in our lives be living daily for you. It says walking in the way of your truth or your judgments or your laws. And the idea there is we're going to do day by day by day what you've called us to do day by day by day. A couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Holy Spirit impacting your life, what we talked about there was that the way that you got the big picture from God was that you were obedient in the little things that God has already called us to do. And so as you're obedient day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment, then God begins to reveal those big picture kind of things to you. It's the same principle that he does in the parable of the talents where he says, those that have been faithful with a little will be given a lot. And so the Israelites say, yes, Lord, that's the proper response. We are walking in the way of your truth. But then this last part has become my desire with my life that I want to live until the day that I die, and that is to make God's name, God's renown, the desire of my soul. The truth is that passage of Scripture reminds us that the only reason that we are here is to glorify and bring praise and honor to God. It is a single-minded focus on Him. The truth is, what I read in this passage is that my desire is that God's name would become the most famous name and the most well-respected name on the earth. And that my job on this planet is to bring glory to Him. As we move that to the church, we have a purpose statement here that starts simply by, we exist, we are here, we do all this stuff. We exist to glorify God above all else. You see, we have worship. We have Sunday school. We have discipleship training. We have Wednesday night programming. We have WMU. We have uh, senior adult programming. We have youth programming. We have children's programming. We have choir programming. We have all those programs simply to glorify God. And if those programs ever become more important than glorifying God, then those programs are out of place. And if we're ever doing those programs for some other reason than to glorify God, then those programs are out of place. And I began to think about 
in my heart, and I've been dwelling on this for a while. How do we, as people who have come together at First Baptist Church Goodlettsville, commit our lives to making His name and His renown the desire of our souls? What I've come up with is this. God is calling us in 2010 to make it a year dedicated to Him. Now you say, Pastor, that, that's every year. It is. But I'm going to ask you today to think about some commitments to make next year a year declaring His name in this city. The song that we just sang, that we were led in offertory and then sang, declares that greater things are yet to come because of the God that we serve here. And I believe that in this church and in the life of the people that are in this room, that greater things are yet to come. And so what I've determined is today we're going to talk about shoring up the foundation to reach new heights. When I moved to Texas several years ago to go to seminary, uh, there were some commercials that started coming on the radio and on television that I had not heard of before. This kind of company. And I remember I was driving uh, one of my first days to school. We hadn't been in Texas long. Susan was teaching. I was driving to school. The heat had broken. It was only 102 that day. So it was cool outside. And I'm driving. And on the radio comes Nolan Ryan. How many remember? You know Nolan Ryan? Nolan Ryan, great pitcher for Rangers and the Astros and strikeout king. And Nolan Ryan came on the radio and started talking to me about some company named Olshan. I'd never heard of Olshan. I didn't know who Olshan was, but apparently Olshan was a big deal because I would find out in the weeks ahead, Nolan Ryan talked to me every day about twice an hour about Olshan. Anybody know what Olshan is? What does Olshan do? Some of you Texas people. You know, foundation repair. That's right. I got my Texas people on both sides, right? Now, why do you need your foundation repaired in Texas? Because occasionally your foundation messes up in Texas, right? Now, there are a lot more jokes that could go into Texas people and foundations messing up and all of that. But we'll just say that in Texas, the foundations mess up sometimes. I've never heard of that here. West Tennessee, you didn't have old shan needed. But in Texas, your house, if the foundation is insecure, the house crumbles. Well, today, we're going to talk really about a lot of foundational things that can strengthen where we are, but yet give us the support to build and reach new heights as a congregation and for you and your personal walk with Jesus. There are three things I want us to do today as we think about how we can make His name and His renown the desire of our souls. And the first thing is this, to look inward. I'm going to ask you this morning and as you prepare for 2010, I know some of you don't have any gifts bought for Christmas. I know some of you aren't worried just about if you're going to get the turkey done on Thursday. But I'm asking you to think about 2010 for a minute. And I want you to look inward. As I've already mentioned, and this verse declares, our first and major priority is to glorify the Lord, to make His name and renown, His fame spread across this earth. Scripture teaches that we were created to display the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6.18 tells us that everything created was created for the glory of God. John 14.13 tells us that prayer exists to glorify God. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? 
glorify you? Is that what it says? Say, what a good man that guy was. Boy, he's a good old boy. It says that we are to glorify God. It says that we are to let our light shine that we might, they might see our work and glorify your Father who is in heaven. First thing that I want you to look inward about is your own personal worship life. You see, in the New Testament, an interesting thing happens because words that were used in the Old Testament for worship were very external. It was about laying down on your face. It was about getting on your knees. It was about facing in a certain direction. It was all that stuff. But in the New Testament, the outward expressions of worship move to an inner reality of worship. And what it means is that you live your life with single-minded focus on exalting the name of Jesus. I watched the uh, Tennessee Vanderbilt game last night. Tennessee Vanderbilt game was kind of like almost every Tennessee Vanderbilt game. It was closer than I wanted, but Tennessee still won, right? Sorry about that, you Vanderbilt fans. That's just how it is, all right? But at the end of the game, the game was still in doubt. It was the closing moments, I mean, the last seconds. And it, it didn't appear Vanderbilt was going to make a charge, but they had a shot. And, and what would turn out to be the next to last play of the game, the Vanderbilt quarterback scrambled to his left, a Tennessee guy was hanging on him, and the Vanderbilt guy just threw the ball. In the way of the throw. That's the best way to put it. He wasn't there because he was supposed to be there. He just got in the way of the throw. was a defensive lineman named Wes Brown. Fifth-year senior. His knees are so bad he cannot even practice most weeks. He's limited in how much he can play. But it was his last game in Nayland Stadium, and he catches the ball down around his knees, and he starts toward the end zone. At about the 10-yard line, a running back from Vanderbilt latches on. And if you've seen the highlighter, you can go home today on YouTube and look at it. The proper understanding is he latched on. And Wes Brown, you can't see his face. He's got the helmet on. All you can see from his body expression and everything about him was he had a single-minded focus that he was getting into that end zone. And carrying the running back from Vanderbilt on bad knees, he dives in for a touchdown on his last play in his last game at Nayland Stadium. As the announcers were talking about it, um, I don't even remember the announcer's names last night, but one of them said, you could tell all he saw was that checkerboard end zone. And whatever it took, he was getting there. That is single-minded devotion. Now, as exciting as that was for some of us in this room, that's nothing compared to living your life with a single-minded devotion to exalting the name of Jesus. Just ask yourself, is your life about prizing Christ above all else? Is it radically God-centered? Is your life and your relationship with the Lord an end into itself and not a means? Not, Lord, can you give me this? Lord, can I get this? Lord, I want this. But just simply worshiping Him because of who He is. You know, it's not our responsibility on Sunday morning to create a worship experience for you. That's not our job. In fact, if you're counting on us doing that job, we're going to fail you miserably every week. 
Our job as a staff, and when we come in here on Sunday morning, is to give you the opportunity to express an overflow of what God has already been doing in your life through the week. The truth is that sometimes when you walk into a dead or lifeless worship, it's not because the music is bad or the preaching is bad or the singing's bad or any of that. It's because the people hadn't been worshiping at all all week, and they get there and don't have anything to talk about or pray about or sing about. I want you to look inward. Let me tell you another way I want you to look inward. I want you to look inward in some spiritual disciplines. It's a word we don't use a lot anymore, but it's a great word. And just three I'm going to challenge you on in very specific ways for 2010. The first is I want to challenge you in 2010 to read the Bible in its entirety. In one year. 2010, I'm going to challenge everybody in our congregation to read the Bible all the way through. Now, some of you say, Pastor, I read it through every year. Some of you may say, I read it through every three weeks. That's great, all right? Old stories told about a former president of Southwestern Seminary that the new president went and visited him. He was very ill, and his wife came out. His name was Robert Naylor, and his wife came out and said, he's in there reading the Bible, and I apologize for that. He'll be out in just a minute. She said, He's just not being able to read as quickly as he can. He said, it's only his third time through it. And this president of seminary thought, goodness gracious, this guy's 80 years old. He's the president of a seminary. He ought to be through the Bible more than three times. And he said, he's only read that thing three times. She goes, yeah, he just he just gets through it about once a month now. She meant he'd only read it three times that year. It was April. I'm not asking you to do that, all right? But I'm asking you, once to read it through in a year. Some of you say, Pastor, I hadn't read a book since I was 12. Unless it's a book I read to my children, and that's got eight pages, all right? I'm just asking you. Maybe for Christmas, one of the things that, that husbands and wives and parents and children and grandparents and grandchildren can put on their list to each other is a Bible that lays it out for you for the year. I do want to encourage you as you're thinking about the Christmas season is make sure even in your gift giving and in everything you do, you don't forget the reason for this. And a great way to encourage spiritual growth in the year ahead is by giving a one-year Bible or an everyday Bible from Holman or something that they lay it out. I'm going to challenge you as a church to go through the Bible in a year. second thing in the discipline is prayer. And I'm going to challenge us as a congregation not only to read the Bible through in a year, but secondly, to pray every day for at least 10 minutes. You say, wow, that's not very much. And it's not. But the average Christian, it tells us, 70% of Christians say that they don't pray ever. 10 minutes a day. And these are the things, and you'll get all this later. You don't have to write it all down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this out to you. These are the things I want you to pray for. In those 10 minutes, I want you to pray that God would glorify himself through you. I want you to pray for this church and your place in it. I want you to pray for the staff that God has chosen to lead this church. I want you to pray for your Sunday school teacher or your Sunday school class. I want you to pray for five people that you know that are without Christ. Before the beginning of the year, everybody is going to get a a form to fill out. You tear off the top. Some of our guys have been using this. Some of you have gotten this in Sunday school before. But you're going to write the five names of people you're praying for, and you're going to stick it in your wallet, purse, whatever, and remind you to pray for them all the time. 
So in discipleship, I want you to read through the Bible to you. I want you to pray 10 minutes a day. And then the third spiritual discipline is giving. Now, I can tell you we need you to give because we need the money because the budget needs the money. And I wouldn't be entirely wrong there, all right? But that's not why I'm telling you to give. I'm telling you to give because God tells you to give. Amen? I mean, it tells us in Scripture over and over that we are to give back into the Lord what is His. And I've been convicted on this myself the last uh, few days. I've been reading through um, the Bible, uh, in the one-year Bible, and I'm in Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, two or three times, God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, if you tell the people something that I have commanded you to tell them and they don't do it, it is on them. If you don't tell people something that I've commanded you to tell them, it is on you. And all I know is Scripture says over and over again that we are to give. First of all, to tithe. So I'm asking you to commit to, in 2010, to tithe. You say, Pastor, you don't know my situation. You're right. I don't. I don't. But I know that Scripture teaches whatever your situation, God calls us to give. In a moment, we're going to talk about opportunities you're going to have to give above that because I think the New Testament teaches that giving your tithe is just a part of what God calls you to give. Remember last week, those of you that were here, we talked about Acts chapter 4. Now, the Acts chapter 4, what were they willing to give? What were they willing to give? Everything, right? Now, I'm not saying this necessarily you, but I've heard of people. They get their bank statements out, and they calculate it to 10.0%. Write the checks. I'm glad I don't have to give any more than that. Scripture teaches us that we ought to be free with our resources. Kind of the idea in Scripture is if you're not willing to hold loosely to the things that God has given you, you might be surprised when He pries it out of your hands. I'm asking you to look inward to your personal worship, to your personal discipleship. I'm going to ask you in 2010 to think about how you're doing life together with people within this church. Sunday school classes, Bible studies. Are you doing life together? Is that person's burden your burden? Are their joys your joys? Is in that group there a sense of community and ministry and serving one another? The first thing I want us to do in 2010 is to look inward. The second thing I want to do is to look outward. There's a debate going on in churches across America right now between being what they call attractional and missional. I don't know if any of you have read any of that stuff, but I'll explain it real quickly. Attractional is the model of the church that was around for many, many years, which is you come to us. We're going to have an event. You come to us. We're going to have Sunday school. You come to us. We're going to have this preaching. You come to us. We're going to have a concert. You come to us. Missional takes a different approach. The idea in the missional approach is they don't come to us. We go to them. And so as a church, we go into the community and we meet them where they are. The word missional comes from the fact that we are to act like missionaries. We're to understand our culture, live in our culture, and explain the gospel to people in their culture, not trying to make them into us. Let me ask you a quick question. Was Jesus attractional or missional? Good. He was both. A little bit of a trick question. Apologize for that. 
We joke, because some of y'all came out real strong. Usually when I ask a question like that, it's like, I trash you. You came out strong. That's good. He was both. I mean, the truth is, Scripture does teach us that he says, come follow me. Remember, they said, come see this Jesus. We want you to come see him. He invited people to him. But Scripture also teaches that he went to where people were. The Pharisees got real mad at Jesus for a lot of things. But the thing they got most mad about him was that he congregated or hung around sinners and tax collectors. Tax collectors weren't sinners. They were worse than sinners. And Jesus hung around him. In fact, there's one time in the Scripture when they make the accusation that the reason Jesus was able to do all this stuff was he must either be possessed by a demon or he must be drunk, but it couldn't be from God. Because he was where they were. And so what we are going to do as a church in 2010 is attempt to be both attractional and missional. One of the church uh, slogans that's been around a little bit in the last few years is this idea that every member is a minister. You heard that? Every member is a minister. My goal, my desire, my dream for our church is not every member being a minister, but every member is a missionary. Where they're located, where God has placed them. I'm going to challenge you in some specific ways for 2010. I want you to look for opportunities to speak well of God and what He's doing in His work here. In fact, I'm going to ask you to think about once a day speaking good of what God is doing in your life or in your church or in your family someplace other than your church or your home. So at work or in the grocery line or just out seeing people, you just say something good about what God is doing. Once a day, you're going to pray for one of those five people or for all five of those people that you've got on your list that are lost, and you're going to pray every day for them for 2010. And then twice in the next year, I'm asking you twice in the next year to explain the gospel to somebody who does not yet know Jesus in a meaningful way. Let me just clarify that for a minute. I don't mean driving down the street, rolling down your window and saying, Hey, Jesus loves you. You need to know that. Roll it back up and say, I did my one. I mean sharing in a meaningful way. Now, the truth is it probably ought to be one of the five people on your list, but it doesn't have to be. As a church, we're going to continue to be mission-oriented. We're going to continue to be an Acts 1-8 church. We've got two trips going overseas this year, one to Chile, one to Brazil. We've got our Lynch project still going. We're going to do things here in the community. And I'm asking each Sunday school class to have an ongoing mission project. And by mission, I don't mean ministry. Let me separate those two. Ministry is working with people that already know who God is through Jesus Christ. Mission is working to bring people to a saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And then we're going to reintroduce ourselves to the community. We're going to continue to do that through some things I want to talk about in a minute, through redoing our website, through some ways to let them know what God is doing in this place. 26.8 says that your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. I'm going to ask you in the next year to look inward. I'm going to ask you to look outward. And then the last thing is I'm going to ask you to look beyond. Because I could stand up here for the next two hours and tell you visions of things that I think need to be done 
or that God wants to do in this place. But I can guarantee you this. Whatever came out of my mouth in the next hour and a half to two hours would be too small for what God wants to do. Because we serve a God that it says in Scripture wants to do above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. He wants to do things that would blow our minds. And the truth is, I don't have all of the answers. And I'm glad about that. Because if I had all the answers, it would not be of God. You know, one of the things I find in Scripture is that God... I haven't found an example. If you find an example, you let me know. Email me, let me know. I haven't found. I have not found an example in Scripture of where God takes the people that say, we got it all figured out, and God says, all right, I'm about to bless you in a big way. It's always when people say, I have no clue what I'm doing. Moses, right? I want you to go tell Pharaoh, I can't talk, God. I'm about to do something big for you. Joshua's on the edge of going into the promised land. Moses just died, and he says, God, I can't do this. He says, be strong and courageous. I'm about to do something. One of my favorite stories in the history narratives of the Old Testament has Jonathan and his armor bearer and his dad's over there, Saul, trying to figure out if he's going to attack the Philistines. And Jonathan says, all I know is God wants us to attack. Let's go attack. Well, who's going with us? Well, it's me and you. And we're going to go up and say, I think God's called us to attack you. Gideon, right? From 30,000 to 3,000 to 300, God gets him at a place where he doesn't think he can be used. One of the things that I think God wants to do in our church in the next uh, next year is to accomplish some things with our building. Since I've been here for the last two years, I've mentioned some things that I think we need to do with our building, and I think it's time for us to look at that. And if you talk to most people, they say, this is not the time to think about that kind of stuff. I mean, I am not unaware that we are in what many analysts say is the second worst economic period in the history of our country. I'm not unaware of that. I'm not unaware that there are people sitting in here that have lost jobs or had time taken away or overtime taken away and things are not as what they used to be. I'm not unaware of that. But I am aware also that we have a God that often brings us to this exact point when we don't have a clue how it will happen to do something amazing in our midst. So over the next few weeks, you're going to begin to hear, some of you have already begun to hear, about the renovations that we want to do in this place. We don't have anything set in stone yet. We have general ideas. First priority is our children, preschool area. One of the buzzwords in in churches right now, and rightfully so, is security, and we need to improve our security in our children in preschool areas, and we need to do that quickly. We've got children all over this building. If someone, we have a guest that comes in with three children, and one's four and eight and 14, they got to go to three different spots before they get to go to their spot. We need to consolidate that. We need to do some things in here. Jeff's been here about Two weeks, three weeks. He's already discovered a few holes in our sound system, right? Just a few. Doesn't take long. Every Sunday I hear people that thought it was too loud or too soft. People sitting on the same pew that it was too loud and somebody else couldn't hear a thing. Now, that may be them, but there are sound issues in this room. The screens are nice and large, but they're hard to see. and We can only put certain things up there. There are times we'd like to improve what we're teaching with that, and that's difficult. 
the uh, just the furnishings in this part of the building have been here for a little while. And we'd like to do some things to make it more welcoming to people that are looking for a place to worship. Send their kids. Our gym has become one of the uh, hot spots in Goodlettsville to do banquet kind of activities. And yet our gym is ill-prepared to do that. So we'd like to be a community place where people can come and they can have banquets or dinners and those kind of things. Serve the community in that way. We'd like to do all of that. Property and Grounds brought a recommendation to the staff last week that they'd like to take one of our least used areas in the church, either the weight room or the racquetball room, and to turn it into four new classrooms. I don't know if you know this or not. We've moved some people around recently. We don't have places to put people in classrooms. We've seen some growth recently with going to two services, and we need that space. And so they brought it to the staff. We wholeheartedly agree and are excited about that. They're wanting to get started quickly. They've got some insurance money coming in for something that happened in the gym. They're wanting to use that for that. It will cost us about ten to 15000 more to do that, but they're willing to go ahead and start the project, trusting that the Lord is going to bring that in. We're on board with that. Here's what I know. That if we go into 2010 expecting us to do this, 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 and this, playing it out like it's going to happen this way, that way, and that way, then what will happen is it will never happen exactly like that. But I do know this. If we go in trusting that the Lord in His name is what we're glorifying and that we're moving in the direction He's called us, then whatever happens will be for His glory and it will be good for us. And so what I'm asking you today as a congregation, you say, Pastor, why are you doing this now? Here's why. Because I want to give you the next six weeks to determine in your heart whether you mean that you're ready to do whatever God calls you to do. Whether you are on board with following God, whatever that means in this place at this time. I want to give you a few weeks to determine that. I don't want this to be on Jan- on December 31st. You go, ooh, i got to have some New Year's resolutions. So I'm going to lose weight, quit smoking, and read the Bible. I don't want it to be that. I want it to be thoughtful, careful, consideration. Now, I want you to know that that in the midst of all of that, I don't have any major goals for numbers or money or any of that. Our plan right now is with the renovations is we'd like to go ahead and move forward with uh, getting those classrooms converted out of the weight room or the racquetball room. January, start a capital funds campaign. See what the Lord provides through that. Sometime March or April, get the contractors, architects together, and maybe by this time next year have it all done. I don't say that's ambitious, but I serve an ambitious God. We think it can be done. Now, the truth is we may, we may get done with the thing, and y'all may decide you're going to give $18 million. We're going to go build a new place. Amen. There we go. Bob signed up right there. He's in for a million. Good job, Bob. Or we may get to the end of that, and you know what, God? It's not, you know, that, that as a church you don't buy in or we don't buy in, and, and, and we kind of redirect what we're doing. I'm not saying that's the full plan, but I'm telling you that God's called us not to sit on what we've got, but to move forward. And all I want to know this morning is, in your heart, are you ready? 